the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back. 606, Midway Point here on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. SOS Ministry San Francisco, 40th outreach to the city of San Francisco. And people have literally, historically down through the years, come from all over the world and all over the country to come and pray and participate and be engaged, then take what they learn and take it back to other cities as much as those that are exposed to the gospel as they happen to be here in San Francisco or maybe even live here, and then take that message back to wherever their homes might be or wherever they might travel to. So God has got a plan here. Um, again, the outreach information available on the web at SOSMIN, abbreviation for ministries, SOSMIN.com. People, Larry Rosenbaum, will say, well, how effective is this really? I mean, at the end of the day, if we're in a church with a building, we can close the doors and say, okay, how many raise their hands? Who's going to come forward? All that. It's a little bit easier to get a, a, a more concrete handle on the number of baptisms, people that have made a dedication for Christ, things of that sort, in a more structured atmosphere. Now, before I let you answer the question, I'm, I'm going to answer in part my own question by saying one of the best examples of how pure street witnessing and going door to door Amen. Knocking is right up here in Oakland at Axville Gospel Church. And somebody listening right now is going to say, uh-oh, Bishop Jackson, Craig Roberts is talking about you on the radio again. And I am. Uh, that church began with 13 people in the living room. Mm-hmm. And Bob Jackson had the vision to say that here in Oakland there is such a tremendous need. There are plenty of churches that can put up a building, hang out a shingle, and hope that somebody shows up. We're not going to do it that way. We're going to go door by door. And every Saturday, we're going to build a congregation for Sunday. And that church went from 13 people to upwards of, I think, 6,000. If they get everybody together and they all show up on a Sunday, the building wouldn't fit them. And I would say, nearly that 90% of that congregation is not sheep that have been shifted from one pasture to another, but rather people that were exposed to the gospel because somebody cared enough to walk up to them onto the street or go knock on their door, hand them a broadside, and share their faith, and reach them for Christ. And I guess at the end of the day, uh, that's one, and no doubt there's many of them, but that's the one that I like to quote, um, where this whole notion of answering the question, does street witnessing really work? Well, I don't know. You go up to Axel Gospel Church on a given Sunday, and you tell me. That's a that's a wonderful example. I didn't know that one. You know, actually, I did know Bob Jackson a long time ago, and I knew his church was very small at the time. And not, it's anymore. not anymore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so not uh, but, not when the not when the governor shows <laughs> up and joins you in church on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. people are starting to take notice. Yes, that's that's a wonderful story. Uh, you know what we do? We do by faith, and uh, you know I would love to be able to see the results when we go out on the street. Witnessing, we witness to people from all over the world. Uh, you know, a lot of them go back to their own communities. We don't see them again. 
Uh, so in most, for the most part, it's by faith. You know, I believe that God's word doesn't return void. I do get to see here and there. I see this person come to the Lord, that person came to the Lord, and so on. Over the years, I've seen quite a few that have come to the Lord and are still following Jesus because of that. But uh, we know that God's word is working in people's lives, and we're one step along the way. Uh, of course, you know, every, I, I say sometimes that every time we go out on the street, there's thousands of people making decisions. Uh, maybe not the right decision, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's another thing that happens is when the gospel is preached, uh, people are, uh, you know, at least exposed, given the opportunity to hear the gospel, and they're either saying yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. And, and, and do we need to put this in perspective to kind of take the pressure off in the sense that I think a lot of people in sort of a performance-based Christianity say, well, I have to win them for the Lord. And if I can't track that number, if I can't say, okay, you know, have you, have you, let me read out for you the four spiritual laws and then expect you to make a commitment for Christ right then and there. We think somehow we're responsible for winning when I think if we read and apply the Scripture properly, what we're really responsible for is reaching. Yeah, yes. and it, right. And, you know, you, you look in the Bible, you know, people like, say, you know, Noah, you know, he was called a preacher of righteousness. He preached, you know, for a long time while he was building a boat, you know, and what did, who got saved? Just his family, you know. And yet he was obedient to the Lord, and he did what God told him to do. And he was a witness to all those people outside, even though they didn't, you know, respond in the right way, yet he was a witness to them. And so, uh, you know, of course, we'd rather be a witness in the sense of seeing them actually get saved. But if God uses us to at least uh, expose them to the gospel and, and uh, you know, everybody's going to be standing before God on Judgment Day. And there's some people, you know, they're not going to say, well, nobody ever told me about Jesus. Nobody ever warned me of the danger I'm in. You know, we want to, I want to be used, you know, by God and, and to have an effect that's eternal on people's lives. And, and it, it didn't seem to be optional when the great commandment and the great commission were handed down. No. And we might see, and you touched on this earlier, Scott, that our roles might all be a little bit different that some are called to pastor, some are called to counsel, some are called to evangelize. But at the end of the day, every one of us are responsible for discipleship. And a component of discipleship includes sharing our faith with others, be it in the marketplace, within our own home, or even on the street. Yeah, and, I, uh, and also I, I think, uh, you know, the big obstacle that we all have to witnessing is fear. We're all afraid. Uh, what are we afraid of? We're afraid that people are going to make fun of us or we're not going to know what to say or say the wrong thing we're or something like that. We're going to be rejected, like yeah. Right, be rejected. Nobody likes to get rejected, you know. And, and so that's what we have to overcome. And it's really harder in that way to witness to your friends or people you work with in that sense because you've got to deal with them after you've witnessed to them and you're afraid that you might lose a friendship or you might have a harder time with well, that Well, it also friend. means you have to live up to right. and what you have it to is live, that you're, right? who, you're, who you're representing. That's true, too. And, you know, we also, I think the, the, the lack, the, 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 the horrifying degree of biblical illiteracy out there that people don't understand that it's not just a matter of, of uh, the, the, the living to be that living testimony. But then, too, uh, people say, well, you know, I, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, we're told in Scripture that the gospel is an offense That's to right. those that are perishing. So it's too late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yes. too late. It's not your message. I had to get past that myself, you know. 
uh, that I'm preaching, you know. But there's scripture when you're sharing even your testimony with somebody. Jesus said, if they listen to you, they have listened to me. Hmm. And if they reject you, they have rejected Rejected me. me. Now, I've heard some people that say, well, I don't want to be the cause of somebody rejecting Jesus. But see, that's not your responsibility, as you were just talking about. I recently heard a testimony of my pastor, Mike Michelson, down in San Martin, California, uh, Church of the Valley. I drive down there from Oakland every Sunday because it's a small church, and I just love the purity of the message it's preached. However, he was recounting some of his testimony, and he said there was a point in his life where he went, he thought, does my life have eternal value? Well, we know that we are going to live forever because Jesus was resurrected and he lives forever, and so he showed us we're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But does what you do on this earth include things that last forever? And only the gospel. You know, you can attain all that you want to in this life. You can have family, and all of these things are good things the Bible tells us to do if they're received with thankfulness and used properly. But what are you doing in your life that has eternal value? And that's a question I ask myself and I'm asking others right now. Think about that. What are you doing that has eternal value? And the, and the sharing of Jesus, the sh- you don't have to be trained through a seminary. You've been sitting in church long enough. You've got the understanding of the gospel in you. And if you will just, the Bible says, Study to show yourself approved Mm -hmm. so that you're able to answer when somebody talks to you. And that's really what we're saying. If everyone who was named a Christian just in this country would share their story with others, we'd see revival in this country probably within six months without crusades you couldn't contain it that's right it, it would be uh, it would be the reformation in azusa street all over again times 10 wrapped up in one big bundle and that's what happens every so often that's what happened in the jesus people movement and i've heard even some theological people that said well that wasn't a true revival you know well let me tell you something There's two words that I use. One is revival. Revival is for the church because you can't revive that which hasn't been vived. That's right. And and but awakening is what we're doing out in the world. Awakening and every once in a while an awakening happens, and that's where the the big so-called revivals with all of these guys, uh, you know, the the famous evangelists of the past. And they set me free too because I was in the beginning. I was always got. I got to have the right doctrine. I got to have the right theology. Then I study the greats uh, in the past: Finney and uh, Spurgeon, and Spurgeon, and all of these guys. They all had different doctrines. They all had different, somewhat different theologies. But you know what? God blessed them all, and all of them brought forth revival in different 
sometimes simultaneously over in Scotland and England as it was going on in America with totally different. So I said, you know, God it must be honoring something behind purity of doctrine and theology. And that's where people get off. They try to turn the New Testament into rules and regulations with scriptural uh, you know, bindings and so on and so forth. But what God is really honoring is belief. However, whatever theology, whatever doctrine you use to bring somebody to the point where they believe, see, because we serve a living God, he will answer when you call upon him and show you great and mighty well, things. you touched on this earlier, that his word doesn't go out and return to him void. We have to be mindful of where the power is. It's in his word. Right. That the working of um, the convicting of sin, not our job, it's the Holy Spirit's job, all we're asked is that we do. And so the shortcoming is not a lack of power in the Word or the incapacity of the Holy Spirit to bring about conviction and heart change. It's a matter of God looking at his church saying, I'm waiting on you. That's and, right. you know, I, I, I think, and then we'll pause on this point, I, I think were I God, I would have come up with a different plan. I would have said, you know, I, I, I'm not going to rely on you all to get this job yeah, right. done. I'm going to come up with a different plan. But God and his wisdom didn't put me in charge. You can all be grateful for that. Uh, God's plan was to use his church to grow his church and to do it through the power of his word and the Holy Spirit, that all we need to do is be effective disciples of Christ each one tell one, as the story goes, That's as right. the saying goes, and and then to realize that it's his job. And if we'll put that in proper perspective and just be obedient enough to open our mouth, to be overcomers by the power of our testimony, uh, we'll see God do, do some amazing things. Long has been the notion that the church is waiting on God. And I think if we could say, God, can you can you kind of weigh in on this? I think the one resounding statement, and you see this filtered throughout Scripture, the one resounding reply that would come back from God, and that is, I've given you my Son, I've given you my Word, I've given you my Holy Spirit. You're not waiting on me. Right. It is I who's waiting on you. Let's pause on that point. We're going to come back and talk about the 40th Annual SOS Outreach to San Francisco, July 10th through the 13th. Complete details. Get ready to take notes. Lifeline returns with Larry Rosenbaum and Scott Crawford, but not before we get a look at traffic right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Four days that can change the world, well, certainly San Francisco. The 40th Annual SOS San Francisco Outreach, July 10 through 13. Details on the web at SOSmen.com. That's SOSmen for ministry, SOSmen.com. Larry Rosenbaum and Scott Crawford with SOS Ministries with us today in studio. And uh, Larry, kind of give us a, a thumbnail sketch, if you would, as to what's going to be taking place over the course of those four days. Okay, what we have is a, basically a four-day outreach each day, usually in the afternoon. We're going to a different place. So like the start on Wednesday, we're going to Fifth and Market, which is right downtown. 
near the Powell Street BART station, and we go each day, Fisherman's Wharf, then we go to the Financial District, and the last day we'll be at Union Square, which is right in the heart of San Francisco, right at, at noon. So if you uh, work during the week on Saturday, you can come to Union Square. Uh, so just show up. Uh, the schedule's right there on the website, and uh, you can you can see it. And just come and join us, and there'll be Christians there. Uh, if you're afraid, just sit and watch, you know. You know, they'll be having music, playing music on the street. We have Chuck Gerard coming, playing. Oh, great. Excellent. Other musicians uh-huh. coming. And so we mostly we play music, we preach, and we, we uh, uh, just uh, talk to people and pass out gospel tracts. So uh, just come and, and observe, and, uh, you know, you'll meet the other people, and they can help you to get started in witnessing. And uh, just uh, we just need to overcome that fear. But, uh, you know, I, and also I wanted to say that we do have outreaches throughout the year. We go out most, almost every weekend. We go out on Friday, late afternoon, and Saturday afternoon. And so if you go to the website, you can sign up for the uh, – we have an email list where we send out exactly where we're going each And, uh, and while – and I'm glad you point that out because while this is kind of the concentrated effort over the course of four days, this is ministry that takes place over the course of, of, of months and every year <coughs> around, around the, the, the calendar, certainly. And so if you're somebody who says, yeah, I've got some experience at this – and I'd like to take some time and be a part of it. Uh, and maybe you've got a unique skill or talent that you'd like to lend. Uh, you can call the offices of SOS at 510-282-5629. That's right. And uh, say, hey, can you use and let them know what you do? Uh, others might say, I'm intrigued by this, but I really don't know what to do. And you can pair them up with people that are experienced in yes. street evangelism. Yeah, we have people that are that are really good. So the the two by two experience can can take place there, as long with and you kind of touched on this earlier, Scott. Just somebody who says, you know what, um, there there is, you know, we're we're in a battlefield, and there is a battle going on for the hearts and minds of, of people, and so having prayer warriors. Not only leading up to the event, and there is those of you listening right now that say, Craig, I can't come, but I'm a prayer warrior, and I'll commit to pray for the SOS outreach over the course of those four days for safety and for uh, certainly effectiveness. You're welcome to do that, and you're welcome to also come out to any of those events that are listed, again, at the SOS website, sosmin.com, during July 10th through 13th, and just kind of be in the background and pray. Yeah, so basically what we do is we just have church on the street. You know, we just go out, same thing you do in a church service. You know, we worship God, uh, we preach the Word, uh, we... uh, you know, have opportunity for people to uh, hear the gospel and, and come to Jesus. And we talk to people that are there. So, uh, you know, I, I just encourage people make a commitment. You know, you know, we, we all get busy. We have busy lives, you know, but we find time for what's important. And what could be more important than the eterni- eternal destiny of people? And you the know. ability to not just, as we indicated, impact San Francisco, but because San Francisco is such a global destination, such a world city, so to speak, um, you find people that will be there as visitors and tourists from all over the planet right. who can then likely take back to their home country, to their people, the message that they've been exposed to here in San Francisco. 
Yeah, you know, if if I had discovered a cure for cancer, you know, I wouldn't be quiet about it, you know. I'd be telling everybody, you know, look, like, you know, you don't have to die of cancer. There's a cure, you know. And and even if people looked at you weird, you'd still be telling them because you knew you had this cure. Well, we have something better. We have a cure for everything, you know. The the answer to the what the question of what life is all about, you know, and how to have eternal life. You know, we have the truth. And we can't just keep quiet about it. We've got to tell people. Go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. That's right. And also, as you mentioned for prayer, we war not against flesh and blood. That's right. But against powers and principalities, wickedness in unseen places. So your prayers behind us, lift up SOS, come out and just pray for us. We often pray that when we go to a place, God gives what I call the canopy of God. Covering. Or his presence. And I've seen people walk through the area where we're ministering and turn around like and look like, what's different about this? Presence of the Lord. God inhabits the praises of his people. And it's not only the word of God from the Bible, but he, the word, is with us. Mm-hmm. San Francisco is often considered to be a global trendsetter. The saying often goes, as San Francisco goes, so goes California. As California goes, so goes the country. As the country goes, so goes the planet. Uh Um, Wouldn't it be amazing to see God plant the seed of revival here in San Francisco and see San Francisco turned about for Christ and then see this like wildfire catch globally? And don't think for a moment that it can't happen. The 40th Annual Outreach to San Francisco, concentrating four days, July 10, 11, 12, and 13. Details again on the web at SOSmin.com, SOSmin.com, or you can call area code 510-282-5629. That's 510-282-5629. I'd like to thank Scott Crawford for being with us today and Larry Rosenbaum of SOS Ministries. 5.30, time warp, 6.30 from KFAX. Let's get a look at traffic right now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, you look at the headline news of the last, my goodness, six, eight months or so, and it just seems like no matter where you turn, we're seeing incidences of racial unrest, massacres in churches, economic imbalance, social strife, on and on the list goes. Hard sometimes, perhaps, to see hope and justice and reconciliation in the midst of this turmoil. A lot of people, I think, have concluded that we're, if not in, we're certainly rapidly heading toward the end days. And meanwhile, we wonder, well, what does that mean for us from a faith perspective? How can we better find places in which not only God is working to bring about healing and restoration, but most importantly, feel as if the work, the job that we do is significant toward that end? Warren Smith joins us now, Vice President of World News Group, and perhaps you are a subscriber to his wildly popular World Magazine. He's authored more than 10 best-selling books, including the most recent, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And Warren, great to have you on the program. 
Great, great to be on with you. Thank you so much. It is hard sometimes not to be discouraged. And just as we sort of uh, reach the point that we seemingly have processed the significance of yet another major negative news event, uh, sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, here comes one more. And I think for a lot of people, not only do you kind of get a sense that your your hope meter is is wearing out in all of this, but that you're you're wondering, well, where exactly is God in all of this, and and is there any hope in which I can play some kind of small role in engaging in some kind of significant, important change in our society today? Well, you're exactly right, Craig. And you know, it, it, you don't have to look any farther than the headlines. That's exactly right to see um, bad news. I mean, the Supreme Court rulings have been really discouraging to a lot of Christians. Uh, we see ISIS uh, just murdering Christians all over the Middle East. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there's plenty of reason uh, to um, to say uh, that we live in serious times. But uh, we, uh, as Christians, are not allowed to despair. Despair is a sin. Uh, Despair means we've given up hope. And, of course, Christians, of all people, should be people of hope. Uh, Faith, hope, and love, Jesus, or or, uh, uh, the Bible says, not Jesus per se, but the Bible says, or the the three chief Christian virtues. And so that's one of the reasons why John Stone Street and I uh, wanted to write this book, Restoring All Things, because... As we have been looking out at the world at all these negative uh, stories, we've also been been seeing something just quite remarkable, and that has been God's people doing God's work in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around us. And when God's people do that, when God's people just don't get distracted and continue to engage in God's work, which is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, it's amazing what's happening. We've seen communities transformed. We've seen lives rebuilt. We've seen entire cities uh, transformed, as, as in the case of Atlanta or Detroit. Um, uh, Atlanta, an organization called SCS Urban Ministries, and in Detroit, a ministry called Emmanuel Temple, which are two organizations that we profile in Restoring All Things. So we wanted to tell some of those stories because we felt like Christians did need some hope, in the midst of these chaotic times. So at the end of the day, is it less about the news events and more about perspective? And I I asked that question because, you know, when we were kids, uh, we all were raised in school to to master the three basic R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Something always told me that one of those words at least was misspelled. (laughs) (laughs) But from, from from a Christian perspective, there's another set of three R's that I think we can't forget that, in fact, is foundational to our very faith, which is what leads me to this question about perspective, and that is another set of three R's, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration, which is foundational to God's plan for not only mankind here on earth, but certainly the role that that, uh, that Christ played in world history. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. You know, in fact, I'm glad you brought up those three R's, because there are, in fact, many more than those three R's in Scripture. We, in fact, we begin, near the beginning of the book, we talk about the rewords of Scripture, and you've mentioned three of them uh, there. Uh, too often, however, Christians focus on another set of R's, which are words like rebuke and resist and uh, engage in those activities that um, are trying to hold back the tide of chaos. 
Whereas uh, I think if we focus more on the three R's that you mentioned, R's like reconciliation and restoration and redemption, uh, we, we become people who um, not only are actively engaged in the work that God is calling us to do, this, this activity of, of restoring all things to himself, but we are also presenting a witness to the world that I think they will find compelling. You know, it's, it's one thing um, to say that Jesus saves and Jesus uh, transforms and Jesus redeems, but if our lives don't show that, Craig, it's, that argument is not convincing. That declaration of the gospel, however true, is not convincing. But whenever we are actively engaged in the process of reconciliation, not only are we declaring the gospel, but we are demonstrating the gospel in our lives. And I think that's a much more convincing proclamation of the gospel. Well, in many respects, too, don't we find that message uh, far more impactful in the middle of chaos? And and I ask that question because, you know, let's use the example of the lives of any of us. If we pause for a moment and think, you know, if, if you were doing well, you married the perfect wife or husband, you had the perfect job, you had the perfect amount of money in the bank, you have perfect health, uh, all of it, a lot of people could argue, well, you know, for what do I really need God here, at least on earth? I mean, yeah, that fire insurance thing on the other side, yeah, that works out okay. But here in the here and now, I'm doing pretty well. But for most of us, our testimony is that in the midst of the pain, the agony, the chaos, when our life seemed to be falling apart uh, right before our eyes, there stepped in God with a message of healing and reconciliation and redemption. And so oftentimes, doesn't God work best in the middle of the chaos that sometimes we as Christians try to push back against and prevent from happening? And I wonder if sometimes we might accidentally be short-circuiting God's plan, because in the midst of that chaos, doesn't his grace shine the brightest? Well, I, all I can say to that, Craig, is amen and well said. Uh, you know, in, in, in throughout history, I think not only in our own individual lives, which you've just identified, but throughout history, we have found the Christian Church thriving whenever the world around it was in chaos. We tell stories, for example, uh, from the second and third century, whenever the great plagues, um, uh, diseases, were just just ravaging cities, and people were running out of the cities uh, into the rural areas just to keep themselves away from danger and disease, but it was the Christians who ran into the cities to care for the sick and the dying, many times sacrificing their own lives in that process. But it was such a powerful witness that we saw Christianity spread dramatically in the second and third centuries. Uh, Even recently in the Ebola epidemic that we saw in Africa, uh, I was amazed at the doctors that that, um, got Ebola and that were put into the quarantine, and a couple of them even died as a result of their work there. And whenever I found out about their biographies, one doctor after another, one healthcare worker after another, were committed Christians working in that environment because they were motivated by the love of Christ and love for their neighbor. So this has been the story of the Christian church. I think it's a story that we sometimes do tend to forget in our prosperity here in America, but uh, it's one that we need to remember. Well, especially since at the core, if we talk about this from the, the viewpoint of it being a message of redemption, it suggests that there needs to be something from which one is being redeemed, does it not? Yeah. I mean, yeah, is, is, the, is the message of heaven all that powerful a one, uh, absence the existence of hell? I, I, would, I would suggest probably not. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, the great theologian F.F. F. Bruce, Bruce once said that uh, 
they, an, an understanding of sin is the beginning of salvation. And, uh, you know, it's important that we do um, understand that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and it's, it's awful, also easy for us Christians to get a little self-righteous about where we sit versus our neighbor. But, you know, our neighbor, Jesus died for our neighbors, even the, one, the neighbor that we don't like, you know, just as much as Jesus died for us. So I think that, um, you know, what you just said there is such a powerful component of this whole uh, understanding of a Christian worldview, which is that we do live in a fallen world, but that God loves us so much that he sent his Son, and when we accept him as Savior and are redeemed from our own sins, we get to participate with him in this process that uh, the New Testament describes as restoring all things uh, to its former glory. No, I, I wonder out loud if sometimes maybe this is not a, an example of um, spiritual laziness, maybe even a little bit of spiritual haughtiness, um, that sense of reveling in the bunker mentality that, well, everybody's against me, woe is me, look the way that they're attacking me, and so uh, we're doing uh, perhaps a yeoman's job at playing the victim here. Um, and so maybe some people sort of revel in all of that as opposed to saying, look, in the midst of all this turmoil, we've got some work to do. And uh, in the midst of this turmoil, God can do some amazing things in terms of extending that message of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration in and through me. We'll talk about that as our conversation continues. Warren Smith, Vice President of World News Group, publisher of World Magazine, author of more than a dozen best-selling books. We're talking about uh, finding God's redemption in the midst of a chaotic world. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Warren Smith, our guest today, Vice President of World News Group. He publishes World Magazine. He's the author of more than 10 best-selling books, including the most newly released, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And maybe one of the big operative words in that book title, Warren, is Everyday People. We look, as we intimated at the beginning of our conversation, at the headlines and what's going on in terms of racial unrest, economic imbalance, social strife, all of this taking place. It's its hard, obviously, uh, and frustrating for a lot of people. And then to maybe overwhelming in the sense that people feel as if, well, you know, they'd like to be involved in being an agent of change and, and affecting God's plan for re- uh, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. But maybe they feel like, well, as overwhelming as all this is, though, isn't my work largely going to be for naught and, and, and ultimately insignificant? Well, you know, it's a really great question, and that's why we wanted to tell stories of everyday people, as you said, uh, Craig. You know, uh, John Stone Street, uh, my co-author, uh, works a lot with Eric Metaxas uh, on the Breakpoint Radio uh, program. Eric has written books, uh, uh, biographies of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Wilberforce, who ended the slave trade uh, in Britain in the 19th century. And it's easy to look at these great heroes of history and say, gee, I'm just little old Warren Smith. You know, I'm not uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer or, or um, Eric Metaxas even. Uh, so what can I do? And what we discovered in, in our searching around for stories and the stories that we reported in the book uh, were stories of, of individuals not doing great things, 
but doing small but really important things that had an impact over time. I'll give you a real quick example, and that is look at the life movement in this country, the pro-life movement in this country. Um, Roe v. Wade happened in 1973, 1.3, 1.4 million abortions in this country per year at the peak back a number of years ago. But what we what has turned the tide, if you today abortions the number of abortions are going down. The younger generation is more pro life than its parents. That's what public opinion surveys tell us. How did that happen? And and a part of the reason uh, it happened was because of the pregnancy care center movement in this country. In thousands of communities all across America, uh, men and women have gotten together just to help other men and women in their local communities. Uh, This movement has sprung up spontaneously. It wasn't uh, a top-down movement. There wasn't somebody in Washington, D.C. or New York City or wherever saying we we need to go uh, form 2,000 pregnancy care centers all across America. And yet, when we look, you know, 20 or 25 years after that movement started, that's exactly what we what we have. It's it's Christians imitating other Christians doing good work, which has caused the pregnancy care center movement to spread across this country, and has created what we like to call this army of compassion that that says to the world, you know, Christians are willing to put their money where their mouth is. Yes, they, uh, they are engaged in pro-life activism. They are in, maybe engaged even in protests from time to time, but that's not all they do. They are also really caring uh, for men and women in crisis situations every single day in thousands of communities across America. It's made a huge difference in the life uh, issue in this country, and I think that kind of a movement could make a difference with poverty. It could make a difference with marriage. Uh, and uh, we, the good news is we do have that one model. Uh, the other news, I won't call it bad news, but I'll call it the other news, is that we still have a whole lot of work to do. Well, and you know what strikes me about even that example that you just shared, Warren, um, many people have often heard the story that from space, one of the more spectacular man-made um, edifices or, or uh, items that can be seen from space is the Great Wall of China. And it is from photographs that perhaps you've seen, an amazing sight to behold from so many miles up. And there you can very clearly make out the wall snaking its way uh, through that section of China. What's ironic about this, uh, that is, having seen the wall, been on it, walked on it, uh, it it is enormous. It is breathtaking. It is an incredible uh, work of of feat to be sure. But you know what it's made up of? Individual small bricks. Yep. Any one of those bricks by and of themselves, would not even be a speck on planet Earth that could be identified from space. But all of those bricks assembled together creates this incredible edifice that has such an impact that it can be seen from space. And it it, it, it dawns on me, Warren, that much the same is true of our efforts here, that, you know, none of us singularly are going to calm racial unrest or, uh, you know, bring about uh, fairness in in economics or uh, settle social strife uh, singularly on our own. But together, Doing a lot of small things together can really equal doing something great and tremendous that can have unbelievably large and eternal impact, can it? Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, the thing that we do doesn't even have to require a lot of time, money, and energy. At the end of Restoring All Things, both John Stone Street and I tell a story out of our own lives that kind of make the point of the book. John tells a remarkable story of when he was a high, in high school. Uh, uh, he uh, had, it, it really because he'd been cutting up in school, 
his teacher made him visit an older woman, a sh- what we used to call a shut-in, uh, to, and uh, as punishment for, for cutting up in class. But so John visited this woman who at that time was in, uh, probably seemed ancient to John, was in her 70s or even early 80s. And they just spent 30 minutes together, maybe an hour together. And John saw this woman a couple of years later, and, and John said, do you remember who I am? And the woman said, I have been praying for you every day since we first met. And that just the woman's praying for him and then telling John that she had been doing that, that she cared enough about him to pray for him every day. John will tell you today that that changed the trajectory of his life. In my own life, I've got a story of my father who served in Korea. He was not a Christian believer whenever he was a 21-year-old infantryman on Heartbreak Ridge in Korea, but a Salvation Army worker whose name my father does not know, whose name is completely lost to history, uh, ministered to my father at a time of great need in his life. My father didn't become a Christian until 10 or 15 years later, but he always remembers the, the act of compassion by this unnamed Salvation Army worker has been, having been a defining experience in his life in leading him ultimately to Christ, which of course changed the trajectory of my life and my children's lives. We don't know how God is going to use our availability. Uh, it's not about our ability, as the old saying goes, but it truly is about our availability. Our job, our goal, our responsibility is just to be obedient and to let the Holy Spirit work from there. And I, I think that uh, great things will happen. In the Absolutely. World. And, of course, through that act of obedience, Warren, can come uh, God executing on his plan for redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. Warren Smith, again, the book is called... Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People, newly released by Baker Books and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and also through their website at restoringallthings.org. That's restoringallthings.org. And our thanks to Warren Smith for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.